0: Yeah, in terms of getting the work done, whatever it may no, in terms of like uh, making valid work, that's the important thing. I think i I want, I want integrity and to be. I'd rather be recognised for that <laughs> than for like being successful, whatever.
1: Welcome to the Flying Football. A platform dedicated to the exploration and discussion of art and the creative process. I'm your host, Iron S, and in today's episode, I had the chance to talk to the incredible artist, Duncan McAfee. Based in the UK, Duncan is a mixed media artist whose work focuses on questioning the limits of figurative art, creating images that blend a range of styles such as cartoons, abstract realism, and pop art. His work has a very postmodern feel. Underlined by the somewhat religious references he uses to title his work. He currently has a solo show at the 303 Gallery in Loudstar, which runs into the end of April. The first place to start is this place I start with every single person is just tell us a bit about yourself and how you became an artist.
0: Okay, so yeah, my name's Duncan McAfee. Uh, I grew up in, well, just outside Welling Garden City, just north of London, one of those kind of new town places. Um, but kind of in the countryside. Uh, and yeah, went to the local primary school and was just, yeah, I, I was always interested in art, basically. Uh, that's kind of what I've always done. I always drew, I always did things. One of my earliest memories is making weird little, I think I had like a scrapbook where I'd go through magazines and cut out, I and mean, it was a little bit weird because I was quite young and my mother was <laughs> kind of helping me a little bit, I think. I was cutting out women. <laughs> out of magazines like the Sunday <laughs> magazine that comes with the paper. And then just cutting their clothes out and then just sticking the flesh bits down into a book. <laughs> and uh so it was like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I, don't, I must have been seven or eight or something. I don't know. But that's that's one of my early art experiences. <laughs> um it was good when I was kind of right there backing me up. And uh but yeah no, and i uh I had an early in primary school as well I had like a, a friend called James Proctor if you're listening James big up to you but we used to uh we had this big I think it was like an A3 sized book thing and we'd take it in turns to take it home and one of us would you know draw a dinosaur and then we'd draw do you remember zoids I don't know yeah. maybe you're too young for zoids but yeah okay zoids so we used to, yeah everyone had zoids at that point but yeah so someone would then one of us would then draw over the outline of the dinosaur with all the armor and stuff and draw the guns onto it and uh yeah it was it was my first collaborative uh project it was brilliant yeah and then we ended up with this kind of thick book of like you know you know 30 or 40 drawings of dinosaurs all made up of guns and you know carefully rendered and colored in and stuff yeah i don't know and I, I remember getting some prize at primary school for drawing an amaryllis uh somebody brought in once I don't know yeah so art and then heading towards secondary school I was I surprised everybody because I wasn't particularly academic I surprised everybody by passing the exam to get into a school in Horsham or just outside Horsham uh, called Christ's Hospital which is a very strange boarding school where they all wear these kind of weird um, penguin kind of uniforms like a black ankle length coat and yellow stockings up to the knees, breeches with uh, gold buttons uh, just at the knee level and a little white kind of tie thing that comes out over your coat, it's crazy. And um, I can't believe I went to this place. Um, was very lucky to get there on an assisted place. Uh, and I think I got into the school by, I went to, it was like a sort of residential weekend You had to go to do the exam. Um, you stayed overnight and had, like, a series of papers that he filled out. Um, but part of it was having a meeting with one of the teachers. And I took in my kind of what, what I considered to be my portfolio at the time, uh, which included these zoids and my amaryllis drawing. And, um, yeah, this guy was like, can I keep it and give it back to you tomorrow? And took it to the head of the art department. Uh, and I, I assumed that that was kind of why I got in, because I can't really imagine that I did, like, Glowingly on all the exams or anything. I'm pretty sure that the head of art there kind of took a bit of a liking to me. And he kind of really nurtured me through secondary school, to be honest, that I was called Mr. O'Connor. And uh he was quite a big, big man in the lot, you know, in every kind of respect. Um his presence was large, <laughs> his physicality was large, and he was also like one of the chief examiners for the South of England or something. So like every year, everybody would get all A's and uh, yeah, but it, it was great. And it was, it was, when I went on to do foundation after school, I found that it was almost like a bit of a step backwards because it was so well resourced and all the teachers in the art department were called artists in residence and they were there, you know, on kind of a small... Salary, but they got given a house, and then they had a studio in the art department they could use. So it's this real kind of buzzing environment filled with like you know, jobbing artists. Um, so it just yeah, I just really took to it and yeah, kind of found my way through secondary school, flunked most subjects, but somehow managed to stay on and uh, and ended up leaving with an E in design technology <laughs> and an A for art. Uh, and that was, yeah, kind of. Many people would have, many parents might have <laughs> suggested that I wasted an opportunity there. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, it was really good. Then I went on to Hatfield, which is near where I lived, to do a foundation course, and took a couple of years out after that. Um, sorry, yeah, the foundation course was quite interesting as well, actually, because it was University of Hertfordshire. And it was the first year they'd just moved into an ex-British Aerospace building, like uh, that had been gutted. And our first week as foundation students was to go in and build the partitions in the space <laughs> so that they could run it as a <laughs> as an art studio. I thought because it was just like an open plan office basically, with everything ripped out of it. Um, So yeah, we we spent a week like putting up stud walls, <laughs> and that was our. Induction on the, onto the foundation course. All this stuff wouldn't happen these days.
1: No, that would not be, happen whatsoever. No.
0: But for me, it was brilliant. It's like, great. that's like a and skill as well, skills. though. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Learning a bit of skills. We're, we're, um, taking ownership of the space. It really felt like our thing then. It was like, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, and then great, uh, like really great, uh, really great tutors on there. I kind of quickly, realized that I was definitely a fine artist did a bit of design a bit of whatever, as you do on a foundation you do the kind of carousel bit first uh and then just really kind of latched onto the life studio so I spent you know the rest of the year doing life drawing and painting I was taught by a guy I can't remember his name Roger something but uh he was he was taught by Either by Uglow or another student of William Coldstream, so he was kind of very, kind of taught what he called the dot and tickle approach to drawing. Sure. You know, this kind of you kind of show your workings basically for these kind of little nicks and notches where you're kind of measuring stuff with your eye. So I had quite a kind of technical uh, training in drawing and that kind of plein painting as well. Yeah, and then applied for. Actually, no, I decided to take the. I didn't even apply at that point. I took a year out because, yeah, I thought the idea of going on to art school with nothing to talk about but my experience of being in school and art education wouldn't necessarily be that interesting for either me or other people, you know, so it felt like um, I needed some experience of life. So I took a year out and I uh, I did a year as a voluntary, what was then called a care worker, now we probably say something like personal assistant to this guy John Kelly who's still a good friend actually but that was through the community service volunteers so I went you know I had an interview with them and they said what do you want what do you want you know I was offering my the idea is that they offer people um, a place to live and like living expenses in return for you doing voluntary work five days a week so it's kind of like a sort of like a job but kind of a weird voluntary not arrangement quite. thing
1: yeah kind of a job but not quite a job
0: not quite a job but I went in because I was doing these kind of um I guess kind of Lucian Freud Eric Fischel Francis Bacon kind of inspired figurative paintings that were kind of yeah representing the psyche and the flesh all quite maybe slightly uncomfortable things nowadays but um, Quite traditional in some respects, but anyway, and I kind of went to this CSB interview and said, what I want to do is I would like to be placed in a mental institution <laughs> because so that that oh, will, wow. that will help to influence my painting. Mean, this is me as a 17, 18 year old, because so that will give me like source material for my painting. <laughs> and they just went, no. <laughs> okay. We've got this guy, John, who's really uh, kind of active. He's like a physically disabled guy. Um, well, physically impaired guy, but he was, I mean, he drove a van, he worked for a, a, a charity called Surrey Fab, he was a, a, a part time youth worker, he was a musician, <laughs> but he's still, he's still, yeah, he's now does like acting and all kinds of stuff. But a really active guy who just needed a bit of kind of help, you know, doing stuff, like moving things around. So he's got little arms and legs. So, um, but that was great. So I went and did that for a year, uh, which was much more useful and much better. But yeah, and then we, so some of the things we did was like, we ran uh, inclusive uh, residential holidays for kind of disabled and non-disabled kids and teenagers. And we went away to the New Forest and did like a cool week there. And they were doing all kind of, you know, usual stuff, I guess, like uh, what's it called like sailing and that kind of thing but all kind of kitted out so that everyone could do it even if they're a wheelchair user etc but as part of that he was like why don't you run a little workshop and so i did a, little art workshop oh, wow. with a small group and that kind of got me uh thinking about how i might kind of uh yeah what i might do <laughs> for money um in later life yeah um so I did that for a year and then Having done that, I moved back home and my grandmother was starting to kind of lose her marbles a bit. I ended up moving in with her for a year and just kind of helping out cooking. My mum sort of said, oh, you've done a bit of care work, so why don't you go and kind of live with your granny? <laughs> but in return, I had a, had a spare room at that, her house, which I used as a studio to kind of build a build my portfolio to apply for a degree. So that worked quite well. Did a bit of pot washing, cooked my nan's meals, and painted. Um, yeah, did that for a year. And then, yeah, and then applied to a bunch of colleges, got into Chelsea, um, and went there for three years. And there, uh, but like, yeah, so as a painter, got onto the painting degree, spent two weeks painting, and then just abandoned painting and didn't paint again until about seven years ago. I'm uh, now 45. But yeah, uh, and it was this kind of that that period, I think, which is the sort of end of the 90s. Um, painting was considered, I guess, unfashionable. A lot of the kind of educational stuff happening in uh, universities, not art, art schools, was, you know, there, there was this, the time when they were starting to kind of break down the specialist courses and put everyone in together. Just just before that, actually, when I graduated, so I think the first one through Brighton, maybe. I remember doing a visiting teaching day down there but yeah the idea was you know the painting was kind of dead it was and if it was done it was kind of too hard too complicated to do there was too much it's too you kind know, of weighed down by its own rhetoric um, so you can't look at a painting without the whole weight of the history of painting kind of bearing down on that and you can't see a painting anymore it's all you know tied up with all the complexity of that so yeah I spent three years kind of experimenting and doing all kinds of other stuff bits of performance and process-based writing work and uh, I made bits of sculpture and I started using sound a bit and so my degree show yeah had all of those things in it and I started collaborating with another student in my year called Andrew Miller and we've made a a book called Hundred and One Art Jokes," um, which was part of our degree show, and that was our first collaborative project. And am I just... Sorry, am I just, uh, <laughs> to no. just carry on just telling my whole life story? Honestly, okay. it's absolutely fascinating. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. So we graduated together in two thousand, um, and then continued working. And actually, at that point, we both essentially Andrew and I abandoned our individual practices so that we would work exclusively together. And we did that for almost 10 years. So in the meantime, I trained as a teacher, so I did a part-time PGCE, uh, postgraduate in education at the Institute of Education in Russell Square. And then I was teaching part-time, first in a secondary school, and then I got a three day a week job in a sixth form college in Hackney, which had just opened and uh, I was pretty much newly qualified and was kind of running this art uh, department and kind of got it up on its feet, I think, really. It um, was me and one other teacher who left before, anyway, this bit's boring, yeah. But anyway, I worked in education, I worked in a 6th college for a while and then I went freelance after three or four years um, and did sort of publicly funded projects and including going back to the sixth form college that I taught as a teacher, but then going back as an artist, and then oh, wow. suddenly everyone kind of went, yeah, let's. You know, I remember doing projects when I was a teacher, where you'd say, um, can everyone bring something in tomorrow, and we're going to make, you know, either like draw an object from home or something. And like two people would bring something, yeah. <laughs> so, you'd, so you'd bring loads of stuff yourself. So then when I went back as an artist, I came in with all these objects. I said, can everyone bring in something found that we don't mind destroying because we're going to put a speaker in it and we're going to then make like a talking it? sculpture with this found object. And it was like one person didn't bring something. People came in with like phones and like old teddies. And it was like amazing. Um, but yeah, just the response from having like a real person come in <laughs> rather than your teacher just going on at you. Made a massive difference, so that's good. Um, but yeah, as I was saying, in the meantime, I was working collaboratively with Andrew Miller and we kind of worked under the banner of the Miller and McAfee Press. And we did a number of publications, but we kind of had the idea of it being called a press. I think you know, Andrew said something along the lines of, that it's more like the, the German word Verlag, which means press, but it also has a, a wider implication as something like the a site for the, the arranging and disseminating of information, which sounded much more (laughs) grand. But I think, you know, we kind of had, I think we were sort of vaguely political. It was very conceptual kind of work, and we did quite a lot of stuff with sound and, um, yeah, a number of, yeah, we made like a collection of uh, choral records, which were all collected from charity shops and... uh, jumble sales and things like that and then we turned it into a kind of archive like a museum style archive which was all catalogue and stuff we had some lovely kind of public we did the most public audio piece for the Forbury Gardens in Reading which was very nice but yeah and then we found that as we went on the more we the more the better our work was very conceptual and the more time we spent talking about work the better we got at arguing ourselves out of making stuff (laughs) so it got to the point towards the end of that 10 years where we just kind of said should we take a break and we um we kind of split off and both of us started making complete different work almost like going back to what we knew a bit I don't know I, I, I was still making a lot of sound stuff at that stage but yeah, we both started working a lot more intuitively and um yeah i've lost my trail a bit but what, what have i done my entire <laughs> life yeah i have no i've only got up to like okay so yeah we did that so we took a break yeah i went back in the studio i started making a lot of collages <laughs> um so i start. oh yes yeah, so i had made a lot of collages in my so, the first project that I did was I took a book of collages that I had made it when I was like 17 at my grandmother's house. That's a good nice little callback to what I was talking about earlier. Um, and then I made partner pieces for each collage. So, I had a collage made in 2017. I can't remember the exact date, but something like I don't know, 17 years between it or something. Yeah, I can't remember. But yeah, there, there were pairs of work like a conversation across time Um, and then I got into kind of cutting up all my old photographs and I made these weird collages which were literally my you know family photographs that I'd destroyed and then turned into these strange sort of totem pole things with bits out of magazines and sort of uh, rearranging my own personal history and mythologizing it playing around with the idea of memory as a creative act and stuff like that, and then slowly I started to kind of make collages which had little bits of paint, you know, little brush mark in it, and it was like I was kind of refusing to admit that I wanted to go back to painting, but um, slowly paints that sort of crept in, and then eventually, in about I think two thousand sixteen seventeen, I kind of decided to go back to paint and admit that I was a painter again, and suddenly found that rather than it being this kind of really problematic torturous heavy activity it could be a really fun playful activity and um, yeah it could be a fun playful activity and it all those kind of reference points that used to be like you either either you had to really justify every kind of reference to another painting or uh, or potential um, callback to the history of art. Um, Oh yeah, before that was difficult and problematic and had to be really carefully thought out. And now I just thought, fuck it, it doesn't matter. I can just play it like a game. It's, uh, so I kind of, yeah, that's, that's what's evolved to where I am at the moment is that I kind of think of painting like playing a game of consequences with myself. So all of that (laughs) got me to that.
1: (laughs) Oh, like you've done a lot of different things, which is why I really want to speak to you. I think Uh, you have, you know, a lot of insight to offer. And I think going back a slight bit, because there's a lot to to impact from just that alone. Um, (laughs) There's a lot to impact. So I think what I really want to get out first is education and the idea of art education. And, you know, as you said, you're trying to become a teacher. Like, why is or why was, or why, I guess why it is, is art education is so important to you. Um, and what kind mm-hmm. of made you kind of go down the path of becoming a teacher? Because it's not something that everybody necessarily wants to do.
0: Hmm. So art education is important to me. I don't know if art education as such is important to me. I mean, I think it's important to the world. But for me, it was more just about doing art, I like you know, making things, making images. I think that's that's what's important to me and what I have to do With my way of, of mediating the world and staying sane I'm already getting a bit twitchy you know after a week off the holidays are fine but you know I kind of want to be back in the studio that's my natural habitat um, and the second part of the question was what why is education or why did I become yeah. a teacher yeah. yeah so that was that was I think that was on a really kind of Quite a pragmatic kind of level where uh, so within the environment of the art school at that stage there was still we, I was at the tail end of when most of the people who taught me were had just kind of walked off their degree and had a mate run a foundation or run a course somewhere and kind of just walked into a job as a either a visiting tutor or a, or a kind of a, have a permanent position somewhere And they were just trying to kind of pick that apart and you know telling everyone that they needed to go and do a course and get kind of proper like recognized affiliated kind of qualification in order to be able to teach so i in my mind i was thinking if i do this i get a bit of teaching experience under my belt then i can go and work on a foundation course i'll get you know i'll be better qualified i'll be my cv will be better to go and do a, be a like a visiting tutor on a foundation course which is what I imagined that I would end up doing which would be like yeah part-time in the studio part-time on a foundation course but it didn't really happen <laughs> what um yeah what? I ended up in the Sickborn college and it was kind of hard work and I think yeah then the realization as well that education was just getting worse it's got progressively worse so it's like funded. it funding has been stripped out, mm. um, you know, consecutive education secretaries have made the curriculum like tighter and more prescriptive, and sideline art further and further, where, well, you know, there was talk, even when I was working in this, I taught in a private secondary, where I did a, a maternity cover. so I taught two terms, my first job, and there was talk then but they was St Dunstan's in um, Cap in South East London and they were talking about potentially moving on to a sort of the international baccalaureate model like moving away from geez, to, from A levels to do this baccalaureate model where you kind of yeah choose a range of subjects and it's but you end up with one qualification at the end of it. Art was a bit kind of <coughs> secondary in that it was hard to kind of be it's a specialise in art I think one I said one thing i really liked about it was there was a there's a section in it where you have to complete an essay which sets out your developing philosophy about the world and your place in it and it's unassessed but you have to complete it otherwise you can't get the qualification
1: that's that's, interesting that's
0: kind yeah so that's kind of where there's those kind of things where
1: that's a challenge
0: well yeah but it's I think it's important like you leave school with no you don't have to think about anything you don't have to consider who you are and what you what you mean and what the world means and do you know what I mean you're not you're not really told to or like encouraged even to think about that you're, you're almost the opposite you are encouraged to yeah. kind of be a machine that kind of gets these qualifications in your belt and goes out and gets a job and blah 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 I don't know so I thought yeah that's I think But yeah, education is going completely the other way, where what I saw as good practice, which I was trying to kind of bring down from degree level stuff that I'd experienced. So having kind of teachers who were practitioners, which, yeah, why isn't that in every subject? Why aren't all physics teachers, like part time teachers, who are then, you know, doing cool developmental experiments? the rest of the week and then that's they're bringing that into the classroom and all the enthusiasm that comes with that yeah Why isn't that's case in idea. every subject yeah which is kind of where my part-time PGCE was at the institute they were very progressive like that and they were kind of yeah that's it felt like that's that could be a model that could be expanded and that all teaching could be done by professional practitioners and a teacher learner model doing things would be the way forward But yeah, the complete opposite was happening and everything was getting tight tight. So You end up with just career teachers who are over stressed and blah blah blah, We know the story. Um, And they usually, yeah, they last between three and five years, so I did three years. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, that's it. So, um, and then practically I suppose I was able to leave because at that particular point I think I got a residency and a couple of commissions, and then my wife was very supportive. <laughs> that's the other thing that's always been quite a constant. Um, and kind of encouraged me to quit my job and you know, try and get by doing it um, with the, yeah, with doing that, with doing that, with doing a less regular income basically as a self. Well. So I went self employed at that point point. Um, and kind of scraped by every kind of 10 years uh, until the coalition government came in and then funding sort of dried up and at that point actually my wife's work was taking off she was back at work she was a um, civil servant government economist she left and her brothers set up a restaurant company for forks more of a steak place quite a fancy one and that was just sort of taking off so she went to help them out a little bit which turned into like from a morning a week turned into like a day two three and then before you knew it she was kind of um full-time director of whatever yeah and so she was the breadwinner and I ended up being the kind of stay-at-home dad for a good chunk um yeah so that's uh, there's a question later you were asking about routine so that was kind of yeah now once once both kids were in primary school it was like yeah <laughs> I can yeah. go to the, the studio from kind of like nine till three pretty much and uh you know like a sort of slightly half yeah this is like i can do it as a job so i would do that and then i'll do all the pickups bring the kids home cook and clean etc
1: yeah because that's one thing Um, that um i'm very conscious of a lot of mm. artists i speak to our parents and it's like how do you find that balance between you know family life and creation because you know your art takes Mm. a long time you also have a family to look after
0: yeah i mean it's it's taken a back seat at various points. I mean there's yeah. I don't know. We've had there was point there was points where I'm mean, like, well I had a really good year. I did this residency with Whitechapel Gallery. Uh had like a bunch of projects on the go. It felt like there's real momentum and then it's like, Oh, we just moved house and, you know we have, we have, I don't really want to pay builders to kind of do it up, so I'm just going to take six months off at this really inconvenient point and uh, you know, gut this house and you know, build everything myself because I have those skills. And that's been great. you know. Like That's how we've kind of got to where we are now, doing that a couple of times. But yeah, it's kind of interrupted the flow of the career, I guess. But, um,
1: but isn't that nice, though, in a way? Because I think... From the outside, we forget that artists are people too. Um, and that yeah. life doesn't always go how your planet's going to go. And nobody has the perfect career where they can come home and they're just paint full time. Like, life gets in the way, mm. but sometimes in a good way. But
0: maybe, I don't know, Maybe some people, I think you have to be, I've just never been that much of an asshole. That's the problem. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> people have to be, like, totally selfish and, like, tell everyone else to go away, you know, whatever, I'm going to do my thing. Um, and yeah I don't know I've never been I've never been that kind of I've never been that ambitious and I've always kind of yeah wanted a bit more balance I think I don't know Yeah, I don't know now it now it builds I mean, I mean I'm I'm really kind of it's only in the last year or something that I've kind of really Gone right. It's time to do something. do something with this, you know. Like, it's stupid. I've been making stuff for so many years. I've got drawers and drawers of stuff. Wow. And, uh, yeah, like paintings are packed, you know. But I was usually, I was quite happy just as long as kind of a couple of people come, you know, a few friends. I sort of like, what, you know, my kids go, ah, oh, that's really cool. Then I'm like, yay, that's good. And then I can move on and do the next thing. And that's part of it, I guess, as well. It's like the work you know the work is the work kind of takes you to the next piece of work in a way so that's, oh, yeah that's all it that, that's all that kind of matters really i mean i don't know like yeah i don't think i'm kidding myself people yeah, people say this don't they i'm like yeah, everyone everyone you'd love to be like a famous artist showing in all the big museums and be like recognized and have accolade poured upon you and blah 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 i just don't know i don't know if i do uh, even now i've like, did a couple of shows this year and it's like that's just time out of the studio i've got to like i've got to like finish stuff properly and like get it framed and transport it and like i don't know write stuff to give to people and that's not the the fun but it's making work and like that's the reason i do it and i just want to keep i want to make as much work as possible and keep moving keep it moving and see where it goes and like follow the trail
1: see that is true but Uh, the kind of the job of an artist isn't just creating art and I think that's kind of a big misconception around artists. It's not just the concentration yeah. of
0: work. Well, yeah, if it's a job. Yeah. Is it a job? I don't know. For some people, yeah. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just talking about what I like doing. So, you know, in many respects.
1: That's, so I'm, you know, I'm, just, I'm kind of curious. Kind so... of doing
0: all the, doing, go on, sorry.
1: No, sorry, no, continue.
0: I was just going to say, like, uh, the, ultimately, I think I just did all that stuff. Like, doing the houses whatever, doing the teaching, saving my body, like just setting up a situation where I don't have to worry about it financially. I, I just organise a situation where I've got time to make work because that's what I enjoy doing. So, it, you know, maybe on, a, on one level, I guess that is like selfish. Uh, maybe I am more selfish. And that, But that was my ambition, just to have as much time as possible to make work, not just really to be, you know, out there particularly getting the
1: recognition yeah but that's that's kind of clever though because I think mm. recognition and accolades and awards doesn't mean that you're not a good artist I no. think there has to come a point in every artist kind of I guess journey where they have to sit down and kind of ask themselves what kind of artist they want to be because not mm. everyone's going to be Damien Hirst not everyone's going to be you know a <laughs> millionaire making work that you know that don't they don't technically even make you know that's not going to be everybody's job really so it's kind of you have to have a discussion with yourself i guess without sounding weird of like what mm. what you kind of want as an artist and, and what you're willing to sacrifice and what you're willing to gain because you know essentially you're just creating work with no clue if anyone's even going to want to see it or care about it so it's like yeah. you have to make sure you're doing it for yourself first and foremost
0: mm. so no, you're right i think well like i also i think um the work yeah it's, it's getting the work to the point where it's it's good enough so do you know what i mean like i wouldn't have wanted to i wouldn't really have wanted to push my work out there so much like so many years ago just because i think that's kind of what's happened i've hit a point where i'm like mm, this this feels kind of good this is i think this works quite interesting and it's getting more it is getting more positive feedback and yeah, obviously, yeah, I have sold a few things recently, and it is like a nice feeling <laughs> when someone wants your work and they're prepared to pay money and they, and they kind of you know, want to live with it. So, I think that's only it's, it's only a very recent thing that I've kind of started thinking maybe it's time to yeah take stuff out of the drawers and get it out there. But I think yeah, in terms of getting to the getting the work done. Whatever it in terms of like uh, making valid work, that's the important thing. I think I I want I want integrity and to be. I'd rather be recognised for that yeah. <laughs> than yeah. for like being successful or whatever. And then you know, and there are people who are really really good at networking and and uh, that side of it, self promotion, etc. Um, and that's not something that I've been particularly good at in the past. I'm trying to do it more now but yeah there's people who kind of you think you see the work and then you think "Mm, really and then you meet them and you go oh I see you're like really good at at talking and yeah I don't know so I'd rather be recognised for the work than for my ability to self-promote I guess. It's
1: weird for me because it always seems to me that Mm -hmm. the best artists are the artists Mm -hmm. that don't self-promote or who aren't as good at self-promoting I feel like they come from a place of good intentions as opposed to it being you know all about them and what they can do and it's i have a very interesting insight because i talk to a lot of artists you know i i'm engaging with a lot of artists on a daily basis and it's just very interesting how people are very very different but people have very similar goals and it's like people have choose different kind of methods to get there um that's just a really interesting observation and i like your the fact you said it's about integrity i like that i think that's very it's kind of very noble of you i guess in a way. because it's like you're not doing it yeah because you're not doing it for like oh i can just create this and it will, it will sell and people will love it and it's cool you're like you know actually i want the work to be valid in your own eyes before anybody else even sees it and it's crazy no, that but, you've but, got but, sorry and I was saying, it's, crazy, yeah, you've it's got, crazy you've probably got so much work and you know other artists in your position would have created content from that work and would have had you know social media sites running back you know 10 years or whatever and they would have like you know quote unquote used that for, for success but. You've left it in a drawer, which is probably, I imagine, largely insane. Um, And that says a lot about you, I think.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I probably did stick some of it on social media, but I don't know know how good I was at it. uh...
1: What is the biggest challenge of being an artist?
0: Yeah, probably the money. That was what I was thinking of, actually. Because, yeah, if I wanted to be rich, then I would... There are so many better ways to make money. Like, Why would you want to be an artist? it's not that's not a good like it's not a good hit rate do you know i mean we'd be better off i don't know anything just take out a loan and like this yeah do property that's like there's loads of money in property do property you want to make money do something like that or become a day trader or something um so yeah i think that's that's the 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 challenge is probably how you make a living out of it and yeah my philosophy has always been to not (laughs) to kind of engineer a situation where you don't have to make money and then you can make work without any compromise and then if that I'm kind of this is I'm at that tipping point now where I'm sort of going right I'm going to do this full-time and try and sort of push it out there a bit more and take a bit of a risk and it would be nice to sell some work but um, yeah I got to this point without kind of having to compromise the work because I've been making money elsewhere with teaching or whatever. Obviously, living with my wife.
1: <laughs> that's a really good philosophy, though, because you don't put pressure on right. yourself to have to create work.
0: Right. You know. Yeah, that's... Mm. But then I do have to create work because if I stop a bit, then I go a bit wonky. So it is... I don't know. It's not therapeutic as such, but it's like just something that I need to keep doing. Otherwise, I... What do people do otherwise? They either just work all the time and are really depressed, or oh, what? Drink? I don't know.
1: <laughs> Watch Netflix. That's what yeah. people do,
0: right? Yeah. So that would just destroy me. I need to. I have, I have that thing where, like, I need to get to the end of the day and then have something to show. You know, oh. even if it, whether it's yeah, a, a bit of woodwork, but you know, something physical to show anything. Um, and then yeah, art is like the, the best of those. You know, I can get by if I like, put a shelf up or something. But, you know, I need to have created something from scratch that has a life of its own, ideally.
1: So that's really cool. Actually, something you said earlier was really interesting because you referenced yeah. uh, Lucian Freud and Francis Bacon in your early works. And you said about kind of the psyche. And kind of a question from that that arises, like, do you think that art should be uncomfortable?
0: Should art be uncomfortable? It's a weird one because I do. I get a lot of comments, particularly from my recent paintings. It's like, oh yeah, they're really cool, but I just, I don't know if I'd want it in my house. <laughs> you know, I don't think I could live with it. Which, and it's weird because I really like them, and I <laughs> find the yeah, I find the the explain. I like it is. They're literally I've just taken stuff that I think looks nice, but I like looking at. So I kind of jammed it together, so I like a bit of abstract expressionism. I love cartoons. I like, you know, uh, whatever, like bright colours and I don't know, I've just kind of done it and like bits of this, bits of that, bit of pop art in there and just kind of germ it all together and just make something that I think looks really cool that I would like. I, that, what I, I do, there's my studio, I have like banks of paintings up on the wall to kind of refer to but because I like being surrounded with them. So, I don't know, that's, uh what did you say? Should it be uncomfortable? Um... Yeah, I mean, I think if something's too comfortable, it's a bit kind of insipid, isn't it? There's no, there's no kind of joy or uh, outrage. A little bit of outrage can be quite invigorating, can't it? <laughs> so, I don't know, should it be uncomfortable? And I don't think it necessarily has to be. Things can be beautiful. You know, Matisse is not uncomfortable. Uh, but it's you know it's not it's still be, it's still good work it's still it's still art. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. But yeah, I'd probably I like I like if it's a bit kind of slightly on edge, maybe yeah, probably.
1: So actually, let's get into your work. Um, okay, because that would probably be a clever idea at some point. <laughs> Alright <laughs> So um, yeah. so can you describe your work for those who may not have seen it?
0: Right. So, well, most recently, I mean, I could, yeah. My, my work has been very, I had a website up until a few months ago when I changed it, uh, which was, it looked it was kind of, it was just a block of uh, square tiles, each one relating to a project. And I hadn't differentiated, there was in chronological order and I didn't differentiate between uh, education projects, participatory stuff, collaborative stuff, and then any work that I'd made on my own, which maybe was sculpture, sound, collage, painting, drawing. And it was like a kind of mad department store, which didn't make any sense to anyone. Uh, there's none of the work. I mean, you'll probably, if you spent enough time, you could probably draw out a few, like, common threads, which went across most of the work, maybe to do with kind of, Uh, time and like some sort of relationship with yourself over time this idea of a kind of fragmented self over time I don't know and I don't know know. there's some a few things but mainly yeah just confusing so um yeah historically my work has been all over the place yeah including being in bands and doing music stuff until very recently when I kind of made a really conscious effort to kind of trim away a lot of stuff so I've stopped doing music altogether, um, I've pretty much stopped collaborating uh, uh, and I've concentrated on painting and drawing and I think I've kind of found a way of doing painting that is that kind of includes enough different things <laughs> so it's kind of yeah so that I don't get kind of bored with my kind of uh, slightly kind of frenetic butterfly attention span um, can be satisfied on any given day by doing something different <laughs> but at the end of it I end up with a body of work which is at least all in one medium and sort of hangs together as it has kind of common elements that run across it so if I was to describe the paintings they're kind of um, bright cartoony explosive messy paintings uh, of kind of figurative abstracts Often heads, sometimes full characters, yeah, and they kind of combine like kind of flat graphic stuff and cartoon motifs with abstract, expressive paintwork and yeah, bright colors and stuff. Like, does that sound reasonable? Yeah, it
1: does sound very accurate. <laughs> it's actually very well described, rather than saying I put stuff together.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it kind of came. So I think I, th- I think I've always been kind of interested, that's why I kind of collaborated a lot, so I have cr- collaborated with you know, people who were not necessarily artists, poets, or um, yeah, whatever, various people, and I'm always interested in, I did a, a residency at the National Institute for Medical Research, and that was really fascinating, talking to scientists, you expect like the kind of, you know, science and art opposition, which is sort of traditionally um, portrayed but actually, you're talking to these kind of, ex- they're quite experimental. And there was a guy called Lyle Zimmerman, who was uh, a, a genetic scientist who spent a lot of his days basically firing radiation at the zebrafish just to see what would happen, seeing if he could mutate their genes in kind of interesting ways. And then in his spare time, he was a jazz saxophonist. Wow. And so you know, talking to him about the kind of his approach to science and the the, the you know how you kind of how scientists work, it was kind of very kind of blue. That's the kind of blue skies research technique rather than the the kind of what's uh, called translational, where you're kind of, <clears throat> you know, you're doing experiments towards finding a cure for a specific kind of cancer or something, where everything's geared towards that. Often that's due to like how you get your funding. But um, this was kind of like, a bit more idealistic and old-school approach where it's just kind of like we just do stuff and see what happens and then you know great discoveries like the human genome project come out of that kind of stuff yeah. okay so where did your <laughs> so where <laughs> did your
1: interest in figurative work come from
0: yeah oh so the the kind of defining moment for me i think was uh, an a-level trip up to london and it was at a time yes yeah, so what was this would have been 95, six, something like that, 95, six. Um, Yeah, and then I remember going up with the group and there was maybe two or three galleries on Cork Street that had coordinated. So they were showing um, quite a lot of Francis Bacon's portraits, the small, uh, with the black backgrounds. And just seeing those for the first time, just kind of, yeah, everything kind of clicked and popped in my head. And then you know you walk in and you'd see like a little uh, photograph of Muriel Belcher and a, and a little bit of history, and then you go and you go that's that's definitely that's Muriel Belcher and that one's uh, somebody you know you could tell exactly who was who. So I was I was amazed at how you could or how Bacon had this ability to make somebody kind of recognisable through these kind of seemingly chance actions. Yeah, I don't know, the, the painting just blew me away, The kind of this idea he had of like uh, capturing somebody as they, you uh, know, the, the capturing the absence of someone almost as they kind of left, like the, the, almost like the residue of a person. Um, there's so much about Bacon here. Yeah, so that just basically totally turned me on to painting and uh, that was my kind of, yeah, watershed moment, I think. I've never really got over. I'm still
1: vaguely obsessed with Baker. Oh no, Baker's work is, it's
0: yeah.
1: it's really incredible because actually it's transcended very well through the years. Like mm. even today, mm. you see his inspiration in a lot of artists' work, um, and that's you know, this only happens with a few artists. You know, people like Edward Hopper, for instance. You know, where their work is still relevant now as it was back in the day, and it probably even more so now because it's more widely disseminated. So, I think yeah, it's just the power of of it's really the power of art and the power of good art. Um, so, yeah, I would agree. I think Bacon's. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Bacon's work. I think it's uh, it's really interesting because there's just so many different kind of of ties and threads you can find within the work. I think that's really what it is. It's because it's so loose, both you know physically and literally, that you can almost tie any kind of experience to it.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, the vulnerability of the. Of the characters i think just feel very yeah honest <laughs> it feels very real um yeah by now yeah I've, a number of other you know, obviously like contemporary like george kondo is a massive influence as of well, as a bit of a hero and i like that kind of, yeah that kind of lineage i guess you've got like picasso bacon kondo and then me <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what's happening here
1: <laughs> so that's really interesting for me because i It actually makes you think of, at least a good, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing to say, but a good Mm. five different kind of artists that I'm going to send to you because you might like their work because it's all very kind of figurative, but not quite figurative, kind of distorted, not quite distorted, kind of, I'm going to say Mm. vibe, that's a hideous word, kind of aesthetic. Um, And I'm going to definitely send them to you because I think you'd be really interested in their work. Um, at the same time, I also don't want to feel despair because it might be similar to what you're doing. Because I'm always okay, conscious no, no, that,
0: because no, no. I'm, I'm I'm aware that I'm not doing anything. I know. I'm, not... I'm... <laughs> I, I'm a... yeah. There's loads of there's, yeah. There's like everyone's out there like everything. That's
1: okay. something we'll talk about in a second. I'm... But the thing is that like yeah. I'm the kind of guy who sends everybody a bunch of different inspiration just randomly. While well, like, one day I will just send you like ten different artists and with a no with no description or no okay kind of a warning forewarning as to why i'm sending it to you i just see someone and i think of you and i'll send it to you um sure. but then i'm also very aware that that might not be a good thing because people might either get offended by it or they look at it thinking i don't know like i'm trying to show them somebody else is copying them or somebody else is doing something i don't know it's something that i no,
0: don't don't worry about that
1: but yes I've, there's quite a few people i can think of just on the top of my head that i'm going to definitely send you that you might be interested in they might already be on your radar they might not um i'm going to remember no, to do that maybe. later on Okay, so my next question for you is kind okay. of like, why do you think that we're drawn to looking at images of other people, and uh, what do you think that reveals about ourselves as a society?
0: Hmm. Um, narcissism, and that we're narcissists. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, I think this—it's. I just read the book. I forget the author now. It's called *The Case Against Reality*. And he's kind of mixing together a kind of really interesting blend of psychology, evolutionary biology, and like visual theory um, to kind of basically explain how the world that we experience doesn't exist. It's, you know, obviously we kind of, we re- re- traditionally, I suppose people think that we somehow kind of reconstruct what's here in our head. And so we have this kind of, 3D model of stuff that is actually there. And it's quite close to the truth. And then the more that we've evolved, the closer we've got to seeing what's actually there. Whereas this book argues that it's actually the opposite. And that actually, the the more we've evolved, the further away we've got. So because what we, because as an evolutionary, from an evolutionary biology perspective, what we are actually, what we've evolved to see are like symbols which, I can't remember the word he uses now, but essentially it's like um, recognising things that will be beneficial to us to, in order to survive long enough to procreate in really simple terms. So if you actually saw what was really there, uh, it would be too much information that would kind of, people who did see what was actually there would most likely perish. (laughs) <laughs> because they'd be wow. unable to kind of
1: process function.
0: Yeah, exactly. So essentially, saying like the more advanced you become, the further away from the Earth so, yeah, we've got no idea. Yeah, it could all just be this. We are basically living in a sort of simulation of our own construction. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's uh, so. Actually... What, so why are we drawn?
1: No, no, no. Continue. No, continue.
0: I was I asking why are we drawn to I, yeah, so I guess within that perspective, there is definitely a thing, isn't it? Like what's it called, Pyjelia? Yeah, so where, uh, yeah, that's that to do with recognizing faces. Yeah, things.
1: it's like looking for faces yeah. within things that haven't got faces yet.
0: Yeah, but th- it, that's like deeply human. You know, you look at your speaker and it's like a big mouth. And, you, know, you, you 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 personify everything. So, like, um, I think it's just unavoidable. It's just part of our kind of uh, inherited, evolved psychology or whatever yeah apparatus that we have
1: so style is something that i think is kind of like the bane of a lot of artists in terms of like having to feel like they need a style or they have a style or they need to be original um like would you say you have a style
0: so yeah i'm a big fan of daniel richter you know the yes. german painter uh he so there was something he said in a recent interview which was along the lines of that style was once a method that's turned into a bad habit. So mm-hmm. I kind of, I like that. I don't really, I don't see the point of style. In a way, my, I guess, you say I've sort of settled a bit on this with the exploding heads that there is a kind of stylistic rep- repetition in there. But I feel like it's gonna, it's gonna change and move on. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of anti-style. I'm more like maybe, oh no, you're still there. Sorry, you went you went really still and quite I thought we cut out there. So I so was I'm more interested in kind of like I, I think I think it's there's always a sort of a bit of irony involved with what I'm doing. And you know, when I was doing lots of drawing, it was all this kind of slightly kind of ironic, really exact, sort of A level style pencil drawings and then, you know, painted elements that looked like pieces of paper collage on, but they were actually painted. So now it's like, yeah, I'm like sort of self-consciously using an abstract expressionist style for like a bit of this painting. And then I'll kind of do a like graphic, cartoony, kind of graffiti style for something else. And I yeah, it's like I'm not really, I'm not really doing a style of my own. I'm just kind of like quoting and I guess it's a sort of postmodern thing, isn't it? But yeah. It's a sort of very self-conscious kind of thing going on there. So I don't know yet. Just, just, that's just what you asking about. Style kind of triggers in me.
1: No, that's perfect. And do you think, um, well, not do you think, like, but is originality important to you and the idea of like being original?
0: Um, I don't, if I feel like I'm just, I always want to feel that like I'm doing something new, at least to me. So whether that's original, I don't know, If it's definitely kind of, I mean, it was, yeah, without showing, that's the, yeah, just going back to what we said earlier about showing stuff. So without showing anything, it's like I don't even, I never really needed to finish anything, you know, you sort of get to a point, yeah. and go, mm, I've learned what I needed to know from this, so I don't need to finish it now, I can just move on to the next thing, that's already kind of set up some new questions for me to deal with in the next thing.
1: That's a very interesting perspective as opposed to just being like, yes. yes. Um, right. And actually, it kind of makes me consider like the idea of, and this is something for later, but I'm also asked a bit now in terms of like the idea of spectatorship okay. in your work, in terms of like, mm. has the fact that people are now viewing your work changed the way you create mm.
0: it? Yeah, that was an interesting one. I think, yeah. So the my my relationship with social media basically Instagram was I kind of started it grudgingly and then I kind of left it for fear and I and then only in, yeah in the last year I've kind of been much more trying to use, do it as a sort of routine you know uh, like sitting down at lunchtime making a post thinking about it and with, I guess the difference it's made to me is it's quite useful to sort of treat it as a little mini deadline. So I at least have to have done something every day. You know, I can't yeah. go in and like look at things and then go, mm, I don't really feel like it and do the crossword or something. I have to actually kind of start something, which is good. And then the other thing that I find quite useful, so I don't know how much of this has to do with whether people see it or not, but more that for me, like every day I try and write, almost like people got micro-blogging, I think. But yeah, I try and sort of write something about what, what I'm doing or what I'm thinking about in the studio that day. It doesn't always happen every day, but um I try to. And actually, you know, most of the time that's really useful. So I'll be, you know, I'll kind of be like, Oh I've got to make a post. i you know, just wanna, I just want to I just want to like have lunch and I'll oh, carry on whatever. But yeah. And then just the act of writing a paragraph. It's like, oh, okay, that's what I've been thinking about. It's like, yeah, it materializes when you kind of write it down. Um, So I quite, yeah, again, it's sort of like a little personal mini deadline. But uh, I don't know. The fact that it's public, maybe I would find it harder to stick to if it was just me doing it in my sketchbook or something. The fact that it is out there, it's like, yeah, at least there's some audience, I don't know, there's some kind of, Somebody to let down, so I feel
1: like I should be doing it. Yeah, I think that's powerful. It's like a reinforcement of your ideas because it's like you could just. Mm. I think sometimes, although saying that, sometimes social media can be feeling like you're, you know, screaming into the void. I guess a lot of the time because you don't know if people are going to respond, and if the type of people we want to respond will see the work. And there's a whole kind of algorithmic you know, challenge. But um, I think it's kind of holding yourself accountable, really more
0: than anything well i've had some really i on the whole yeah obviously I mean, instagram's incredibly frustrating and you have days where you're like just what's happened like no one's like i don't know i've suddenly i'm downed for like 20 likes for the last three days what's going on and then they'll send you a little note saying hey pay to go go pro or whatever it is um and then you get your posts seen by more people and you're like hang on a second that is the algorithm it's like it's been programmed to market to you so it'll like yeah i'm pretty sure it does this it'll like kind of reduce the amount of people that see your post videos and then it'll say you can pay if you want more people to see your stuff It can be really frustrating but on the whole i've had a really positive uh experience of it
1: okay. so getting into your work a little bit further in terms of the actual series of work um one okay. kind of unifying theme i've kind of realized in your work is kind of the idea of religious imagery um okay and i'm very very kind of really curious about like kind of where that stems from
0: Well, okay, so yeah, so I went. This secondary school that I went to was a Church of England school. And yeah, I grew up. I remember going to Sunday school and stuff as a a a little kid, but I'm not from a religious family. It was all very kind of half-hearted, and I'm definitely not a believer. But yeah, and then I think that if if anything, it was going to the church school which probably tipped the balance because yeah, it was. We'd have, like, we had a lot of, you know, it was one of those amazing school with big historic buildings and an amazing, massive chapel thing. Um, and we'd have a Sunday service every week. But then we'd also, we'd have to get up on Tuesday morning. you have to get up an hour early. And then before breakfast, go and do chapel practice. The whole school, like, running through the hymns and stuff. Before breakfast. So you're hungry, you're tired. I mean, this is, that's how cults operate, isn't it? They, like... They do that, they wake you up in the middle of the night and they fuck with your head. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, so I was just like, what the hell is this? How is this even legal? <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I, the whole thing's is vaguely ridiculous, but it does mean that I've got these kind of, yeah, I guess I've got these kind of stories, like kind of half remembered. I, you know, I was sort of not really paying attention, but you know, it's, it was there. It was like, it's a big part of my culture. Um, Growing up, there's this kind of, you know, all the Christian stories and the kind of general background. And I love the fact that the Church of England is very, there's a lot of talk about holy doubt. And then, you know, it's uh, um, the idea that, you know, do we believe in God? Well, it's good to kind of not be that sure, you know, and that's like that's the fundamental basis of the C of E kind of philosophy or whatever. So I love its kind of weird contradictions, and yeah, and I like the, I like the fact that they are kind of, even if you're not religious, that you kind of, you have like elements of these stories which are sort of so ingrained in culture that they're kind of there, um, a bit like, and uh, you yeah, know, and and they could be, and I yeah, I like to think I use them in almost just as that as like kind of um, triggers or uh, ways in. Uh, And they could be as valid as uh, a a kind of motif from an advert or uh, a a bit lifted from a historical painting or a modern painting or whatever. Um, Again, all sounds very postmodern, I guess, that kind of flattening out of the value of things so that everything just kind of has equal status.
1: So I'm kind of curious though, like, do you ever yeah. worry that people might take it the wrong way? Say, like, maybe people mm. who are, you know, strongly religious, maybe they may see it as, you know, not necessarily blasphemous, but maybe see it as, you know, kind of shock value or kind of like, oh, you're doing it just to provoke.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I don't, yeah. I mean, I was because I was looking at, I've been looking quite a lot at Rembrandt and his late religious portraits, and they're incredible. And I think, I don't know, maybe. There's something about him and the way that he approached the subjects I mean, you know he dressed up as the prophet paul and did like portraits of himself this kind of weird rag wrapped around his head and that slightly kind of quizzical supercilious kind of expression i don't know is that is he taking the piss or is he i don't know but i think yeah what i think about it is that it's it's honest it's like humanizing and getting inside them in the yeah maybe in, i don't want to just, i overstating it there but it's in the same way <laughs> that Rembrandt did but I think that it's like humanizing these characters and turning them into like yeah like I don't know confused lustful messed up people that kind of are all over the place and then yeah in terms of like in terms of like reverence to kind of historical stuff i was also looking at the kind of hindu iconography and like they're in and around the karma sutra and just sort of you know setting that off against kind of western stayed western traditions and um, with christian imagery you know and there's like i've read through the karma sutra or translation of it recently and there's loads of really progressive this like not so progressive stuff it's quite patriarchal in a lot of ways you know like People having lots of wives and stuff, but there's loads and loads of stuff about like giving pleasure to women and women, uh, yeah, like the openness about sex and sexual pleasure. And it's not like it's very different to uh, what we grew up with, I think, our kind of understanding of these things, and then, yeah, and also the kind of um, the graphicness of the imagery, like really kind of like lots of nudity and penetration, and these are kind of, uh what's the word, like, holy objects or whatever, sacred objects, people having sex. Um, so I'm just, I guess it's asking questions about, about that, why is that the case? <laughs> and why is, uh yeah, how things kind of like compare with each other, I don't know. That's the whole thing, isn't it, with like religious religion and kind of you compare religions across time with each other and kind of go, Oh right. And try and at the centre of all this, there might be some truth, but surely the fact that they're all so different and kind of tells you something. If they have like a mildly analytical or inquisitive mind. Yeah. So I don't know, am I trying to cause offence? No. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I think I'm definitely trying to like poke at things and kind of open them up a bit. Yeah.
1: So is it important for your work to kind of provoke discussion and kind of be like, you know, make people question what they're saying and kind of, you know, just generate discussion with one another, not even necessarily with you?
0: Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess so. I think, oh, yeah. I think these days my work is much less about ideas and much more kind of, much more direct and intuitive so i've made a, a real conscious effort in a way to sort of try and think less and do more so yeah that's something i've found recently with like making these some of the i did those big ink drawings uh, the paul series i think you mentioned them in a yeah. question that you might ask later but yeah and there was this kind of thing of i was just thinking in terms loosely of kind of rembrandt's kind of building up of glazes and stuff and kind of approaching the image in quite a kind of technical way of like how I built it up with like layers and layers of diluted ink and then you know bits would get darker and other bits would be left and you'd have kind of I was thinking about it in terms of kind of time being layered up so me having a conversation with myself over a number of days and like either either reinforcing particular marks or trying to obscure other ones with new marks and kind of you could see the decision-making process kind of as it went back, as it became lighter. So I was just thinking about all that stuff. Uh, and then when I stepped back, I saw this kind of you know, thing oh, it's finished now. And then I, you see this kind of, um, so sort of head that looks like it's kind of glancing from side to side, uh, maybe it's kind of anxious or excited and it's sort of emerging from this undefined sort of darkness. And I was like, oh, right, yeah, it's kind of, that's what's happening now. This was this was kind of over the, towards the end of the summer or whatever was, maybe over the summer holidays, but as we were kind of emerging from our second lockdown. And it was like, yeah, this is it, this is the, it sort of seems to be depicting this kind of shared sensation of the, anxious anxiety and excitement about coming out of an extended lockdown but yeah I hadn't thought about that in any way until I saw the finished thing so it kind of talks back to me the work the work talks to me rather than me trying to get the work to start a conversation with someone else yeah I think that made sense
1: no that is, that's a really that's really interesting though because I think a lot of times artists have the intention of their work going in and they, they have like a very defined kind of idea or philosophy or kind of subject matter they want to paint or create or just, you know, explore. And then they kind of set that as their final goal. And then when they step back, they like, I call this image of this, say, landscape is going to ask, mm-hmm. you know, this question. And they put it out into the world. But it's nice that as the person who creates a work, it's also kind of a revelation to yourself when you look at your own work that's very interesting because you know art is all about the person creating it um and, and and the aspects no matter what you create it's about you because you're not creating it yeah so i think that's very very interesting how you co- you had that conversation with yourself um
0: yeah i mean i want uh, I, w- I want to see what happens really it's kind of so like my my process is kind of i'll go in you know one day i might do go in and just feel like, oh, I, need, I, I do have some kind of strict intentions. I want to put an eye here and make it really um, precise. And then another day I'll go in and just go, I'm not happy with this image. So I'll just kind of throw something at it or I'll paint like a, the wrong color. So make a make an intentionally really bad decision and try and like ruin the image so that I've got something to rescue. Like I can work against it. So it is, yeah, it's this game. It's a, it's a, it is a, it is a process and it's a conversation. I mean, a lot, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in terms of ideas, like that was, I can, kind of talk about self-collaboration and this idea of, um, I was really into the, the Beckett play, Craps Last Tape. Do you know this one?
1: No, no.
0: So it's, um, Samuel Beckett. It's a one-person play, a one-man play. And it's the, <clears throat> the premise is it's, a uh, an aged man, I think the implication is that that it's his last birthday. And every year on his birthday, he's made a recording, a tape recording of himself. And he's spending this birthday, like, going over old recordings and listening back to them. And he's kind of, like, pressing play, listening, stopping, arguing with younger versions of himself. Sometimes the tape voice will mock the, the older man. And we'll be like, oh, there you are. I know what you're going to be doing. Listening, you know, and it's this really kind of interesting dynamic with, yeah, like you, different versions of yourself. And I think, yeah, that's how I imagine the paintings. So they happen over, like, part of the reason I work in series, I think, is so that there's, it allows more time to happen between elements. You know, if I ha- if I have forty exploding heads going then by the time I've done something to each of those 40 paintings maybe like a week will have passed and I'll go back to the first one and will have kind of I'll be a a different person (laughs) you know I mean that's that's true between before lunch and after lunch but it's sort of more exaggerated over a longer period of time so I like this kind of strange kind of form of self-collaboration I think I used the word schizo painting a couple of times I'm not sure how I feel about that but
1: See, that, but, that's what you should say that because when I read that, I was a bit like, uh, hmm, <laughs> I'm not too yeah, sure if, no, no. If, if 21st century, yeah, if, that would, if that's going to really wash. But hey, yeah,
0: yeah, I might, I might go back and
1: change that. How <laughs> about say, hey, it's your biography, Ryan, it's up to you. Yeah. Um, but that's actually a really yeah. nice segue into the fact I just want to talk about your series. So um, I wrote okay. down here some of the last, so you've done a lot, actually, over the last year, uh, year or two. You've doing quite been a lot. Quite a
0: busy year. So yeah. the
1: series of works we have got, so 2019 is Exploding Heads, 2020 mm. is The Last Supper, 2021 yeah. is Oh God, 2021 yeah. again is Big pools, and another 2021 yeah. is South Portraits. Um, how has the yeah. last three or so years been for you in terms of your
0: output? They've, that's been quite good. So yeah, I kind of had a, I moved studios in 2018 maybe, and then within a few yeah we had our lofts done. <laughs> So then yeah. I took off like three months to paint the loft and make furniture, and then all the stuff we moved out of the loft. This is really boring, but this is what happened. So I'm going to say it: uh, <laughs> we moved all the stuff out of the loft into the rest of the house, and it turned out that it was infested with um, moths and uh, other, some other kind of weird beetle that eats carpet, or that grubs the grubs eat carpet. So with yeah, when we went to move the stuff out again. We saw that all our clothes were infested with, with um, oh no. clothes moths and all the color. So basically, then I was like, okay, so I'll just take off another, end up being nearly a year, and just rip everything else out room by room and, you know, clean it and repaint and put down non-carpet floors. And so I took a year off, basically, to do up our house, which is, you know, a great privilege, um, and I very much enjoyed it. But so then it was only after that, coming back into the studio, yeah, that, that it kind of all kicked off properly and then yeah now that we've decided that's it we're staying in this house it just feels like time to get on with it so yeah I've been pushing quite hard with the work doing a lot I'm in every day during the school day kids are a bit older now so they're both secondary so I can actually stay a little bit later um, and do almost a full day's work which is great Um, and I've also started this Terps doing the Terps sort of mentorship program, they have a, the offsite thing, which is brilliant. Um, yeah, I'm getting a lot out of it, actually. We've got, um, so I don't know if people know about Terps Art School. No, I if you want to
1: explain it, that'd be perfect. Describe I don't know know about this.
0: No, okay, so it's um, Marcus Harvey set it up and he was the guy who did the Myra Hindley painting with the hand prints that was in the Sensations exhibition. And he's a great artist. Uh, and I strangely knew him slightly because he, uh, both our kids went to the same primary school. Oh, wow. <laughs> he lives locally as well. So I've kind of, yeah, occasionally said hello to him and on a couple of occasions ended up in a pub talking about whatever. But anyway, and then, yeah, so I knew he'd started this art school and I'd kind of ummed and about it a bit and then thought with the kind of push that I'm trying to do at the moment, I thought I'll give it a go. Uh, and they, they went, they've got a, a building up Elephant and Castle, where they have um, 20 artists in their studios on site. And then after a few years of doing that, I think think when they started, like 2016, something like that maybe, um, over the last few years, they've started doing an offsite version as well. So basically, if you live locally, uh, we live in London, basically, and have a studio, uh, then you can apply and they will assign you a mentor who comes to visit you in your studio. And then there's a sort of series of talks that they do um, and you you get kind of put together with a group of other painters of your peers and you meet up with each other and do group crits and visit each other's studios and it's been really really interesting and really good and in terms of yeah building a bit more of a, a network of people to talk about painting with and that's been fantastic so yeah the original question <laughs> but i can't remember this
1: is fun yeah i can't remember why I said, the half. oh the yeah
0: time. i've done it yeah doing a lot of work so that's so yes. so that's yeah that's also introduced a number of other like <laughs> mini deadlines so i think yeah at the time so i applied for TERPs. what probably in march or something last this year it's not uh, yeah so last year by the time this comes out yeah. um and then but and at the same time maybe applied for three or four other things as well and completely you know my understanding of applying for things is that you apply for 10 with the idea that you'll get one that's what we used to do when the public funding side of things and I think I applied for like five or six and got like four and I was like oh god this is going to be a bit busy so yeah uh, I had uh, I started Terps in September I had a show over the summer in Brixton at a nice little gallery called Brixton Art Club, which is like a new, new thing. And then was in like a had a feature in a magazine and had like a nice interview with a um, Spanish website, which I think you looked up, the arts and culture one. I did indeed. Yeah, it's very, just kind of all it all good. it all kind of happened. And then once you get a bit of momentum, you kind of don't want to you you don't want to like let it slow down really. So. It feels like you just have to keep pushing. Oh yes, and then the Oh God series was like um that's an artist called Dallas Sights who I used to live in London, and I I knew him because I'd done a residency in Norway with him uh, in Stavanger, um which he set up with another artist um Kenneth Varp, who is Norwegian. um So yeah, I, I spent a couple of weeks out in in Stavanger doing a residency and got to a bit up, out there. Um, Mutual friends stuff. Anyway, he's moved back to Calgary in Canada now and set up his own kind of independent, um, uh, like a curatorial project called Kyle Marx Projects. And then he was keen to do something with me and invited me to do like a sort of online thing where they'd pump pump out a painting each day for a week. So I made those. It happened to run over Pentecost. So oh, wow. I decided to look at historic history paintings of Pentecosts, like Titians and Van Dyke and such, and then kind of do very loose sort of transcriptions of those, um, playing around with kind of my slightly cartoony imagery and stuff. So yeah, I did that this year. That was that was good. Um, yeah, it was just it was good. Lots of things kind of just popped up. Um, that was a, that was a lockdown project as well, which kind of
1: yeah but i say that's what i forgot to ask you at the start what so we're on, on the top of the list but like, how was the uh kind of covid19 lockdown period for you i mean at the point you know we're recording this in december 2021 i almost said 2020 yeah. December 2021 yeah. and you know we might potentially go back into a lockdown potentially so mm-hmm. how did the kind of that whole period of you know the initial lockdowns affect you and kind of affect your workflow yeah well i had two
0: distinct phases I think so there's the initial phase which was you know as as with most people probably like mild panic um, and actually I didn't make anything for three months at all I didn't even go in the studio I just came home and we we're lucky enough to have a <coughs> bit of a garden so I just dug up the lawn and turned it into an allotment which seemed like the only rational thing to do at the time um, and then kind of three months in, and we realised it was yeah the kids were still going to be off school I don't know yeah it was kind of then it started to get a bit of a grind dealing with school and digging there's only so much of that you can do but then the second lock by then by the second lockdown um my kids both well one of them was in year five six second uh, primary school and the other one was already secondary school they both become quite independent and very good at in some ways I think it was quite good for them They're quite you know they kind of log onto their computer, get their tasks for the day, have like a live meeting at such and such a time. And they had planned their own day and they were both really quite good at it. So I think for certain kids, I think the whole thing was quite good and probably helped them a lot with some life skills. But by that stage, I was like, okay, well, I can still go to the studio then during the school day. And I became, got quite into it. And I, yeah, I started off doing a lot of drawing. So I had a lockdown sketchbook, which is like a big fat, thing of like a hundred pages or something. And I just made two or three drawings a day, which I've yet to do anything with, I've got them all stacked up here, I keep needing to scan them. Uh, Put them on my shop or something, I don't know. What do people do with stuff? Yeah, Uh, so that was my lockdown experience, yeah. So down then up, and then those drawings kind of led into the more recent paintings. So yeah, it was bad and then good.
1: But it's good that it was a, a more positive experience at the end and or, and or on a whole, because I think for most people mm-hmm. I've spoken to and asked that question, it's been more of a positive thing in terms of people have more time to actually sit down and create work and people have more time to be able to kind of think about life and think about what they want to do and, and think about just just think, I guess, right. generally. You know. So they don't
0: have kids then.
1: <laughs> oh, no, without are without kids. No, okay. without are without kids. Actually, quite a lot of the artists I speak to, I'd say actually probably a good seventy percent have kids.
0: Right. I think it it was my my um, observations of other people was generally that it went one of two ways. It's either he found out that you did genuinely really love your your partner and (laughs) family if you had them, and it was quite positive, or people separated. (laughs) and it kind of yeah i know i know a couple of my son's friends parents separated and they live you know in between lockdowns went and got separate flats and stuff uh, yeah so it was obviously whatever was wrong was just kind of amplified but yeah (laughs) uh, i'm one of the lucky ones in that respect i guess
1: absolutely that's that's what i didn't think about which is quite funny um it's funny but it's also not funny because that's people's lives then
0: that is yeah yeah but yeah, maybe it was going to happen anyway. You know, just it just kind of hurried things along a bit.
1: I mean, that again, I guess it's like it's very much like a test, though, isn't it? Really, it's a it's a test of patience and kind of test of like, you know, you think, oh, you know, like everyone always says, particularly when you work, everyone's always like, oh, I wish I didn't work so much. It's like, but when you actually have the option not to work or you can't work, you kind of realize mm-hmm. how important working actually is for just society in general, just for your own well-being. It's kind of pretty crazy in that respect
0: yeah. yeah getting out the house is good
1: <laughs> yeah i must say exactly that's exactly the same like getting out of the house is is really important i don't think anybody realized that until we couldn't leave the house
0: yeah true so but yeah that was the so the last supper i've been thinking about doing for a few years and it just partly because i built this partition wall which looked perfect for it just it was the right dimensions for a last supper And I was just uh, kind of, yeah, that was always ticking away. And then suddenly this, yeah, and just the fact that, um, you know, but even before lockdown, the whole kind of news narrative. So, yeah, The Last sub is this kind of quintessential image of a moment of transition. And then I think the kind of the news narrative pre-COVID anyway was that everything is in this sort of state of transition. Everything's right on the edge of collapse or change, you know, like global political systems are all kind of yeah right teetering on the brink the economy capitalism we're in late stage capitalism you know, the, the environment is is yeah, finely balanced yeah i don't know yeah everything's just falling apart basically like nothing else like never before uh yeah and then covid happened and then it's just like so it just sound, it just seemed like a very relevant image to be working on um yeah so that's something that came out of lockdown i think is the kind of uh the uh solidification of the decision to work around the last supper which is i did that black and white version that i sent you yeah and then i've been working on a sort of more colorful more drippy kind of version I've, following the oh god paintings and I learned quite a lot about technique from doing those development technique a bit more um which is then that that's working towards this show that I've got coming up in Lower which will run over Easter so it's kind of perfect time oh wow uh so that's going to be th- yeah themed around one large painting and then maybe a couple of smaller studies it's quite a small space but um it's a great little gallery maybe I should talk a bit about that
1: that would be a very good segue into that. That'd be perfect. Yeah. Before we forget, okay. I don't think anything added onto the interview notes, so we probably should talk nah. about that.
0: Don't worry. Uh, yeah. So uh, actually, it ties a lot of things together. This because um, the guy that set it up is called Alexander Costello, who's an old friend of mine, um, who actually sang at my wedding. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, but he's yeah. We've also been in bands together. We uh, made music together under the moniker of The Leonard Cohen, which is a sort of a noisy guitar <coughs> indie band that we had for a while. But he's an artist in his own right um, and has done some really cool projects, including something for the RBA, RBS, sorry, Royal British Sculptures, uh, where he was on the, on the he was the figurehead for a barge um, hanging off the front of this barge that drove right across London on the canal. Uh, and he's just pointing forward for the whole thing in this white suit, but leaning out the front of the barge amazing performance, but yeah, um so then he moved to Lowestoft and has set up a set up home there with his family in uh, a flat that's above what used to be a tea rooms, like a tea like oh, wow. coffee whatever, like coffee yeah. house or yeah calf that 's the word isn't it calf um, and so they've divided the calf up, so he's got a studio at the back, and then the front portion of it is um, and now a gallery and it's the only kind of contemporary or, yeah I don't know there's others there's a couple of other spaces there but this is the one he's running it as a not-for-profit um, and it's got like CIC community interest I can't think what the third C the other is for but um, yeah it's a great little space and I think he's trying to do something really exciting and really good kind of bringing bringing stuff to a bit of Suffolk that is you know, very kind of under, under, under. what's the word? It's quite, it's a very deprived area and he's kind of very generously putting a lot of time into this thing um, and offering stuff up free. So it's great. So yeah, and then he's offered me a solo show having kind of did a big group show in September, which I was part of. And then he's had two or three shows since and there's a video show over the winter and then I'm going up in March to do my solo show there. So, yeah. I was just plugging that, basically.
1: No, that's perfect. And that's kind <laughs> of... And how are you feeling about that?
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, it's... Well, it's my first sort of proper solo show, I guess. Um, so I kind of want to make it... I want to make it as, as best I can, you know. Uh, and it's just like everything's kind of aligned. Like it runs over Easter. I'm doing these Last Supper things. Um, yeah, I've got some ideas. I, d- I don't really want to give too much away at the, of at the, at the moment of exactly, about what exactly it's going to look like. But um, yeah, it just feels like a great, a great thing to do in a really great place, and working with Alex. So he's he's great.
1: But yeah. I actually that I actually could segue very nicely into the idea of just exhibiting in general, because obviously right. you said that. Um, you're part of the Brixton Art Club,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, actually, it's, actually, I wasn't even aware of this until I read your biography, which is very interesting. And could you talk a bit about, like, because you said that's also a new venture as well? Um, what is it about, yeah. like, new ventures that interest you in terms of saying exhibiting at possibly like more established places?
0: <laughs> interesting. Well, I mean, I was going to show it the tape, but um, I decided I'd rather <laughs> show. It at brixton art club <laughs> no um it's nice actually because i think it it makes a very uh, a lot of the things i've done previously have been at the, catching the tail end of stuff yeah so it's, at the moment it really feels like um getting involved with stuff that is kind of just starting out and then there is that kind of buzz and excitement i mean it hasn't been intentional particularly it's just that's what's happened but um yeah but yeah, Brixton Art Club's great. And it's, I guess, similarly, it's not, it isn't a kind of traditional standard kind of white cube commercial gallery space. It's kind of run by a local guy who's like a DJ uh, and it kind of sits in between being a gallery, a kind of bar, cafe, nightclub. And it's just like a really cool little venue that kind of sits as part of a community I don't know. I like that. See, it suits me. It suits my work. I kind of like that. That kind of realness. I don't know. It's <laughs> a bit cheesy, but yeah. Uh,
1: okay. All right, cool. So yeah, so I wanted to ask, um, what would be kind of like the optimal environment for people to see or work in?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I like the idea that I'm engaging with a history of art. So there is kind of like showing in a gallery environment is kind of cool because it's sort of, uh, that's the place where those conversations happen. Um, but then I'm kind of just as interested really in this in the sort of democratizing who sees the work a bit more because anyway, as, as open as spaces are, there's still a number of barriers to going like, to commercial galleries to see kind of new work and even going to kind of museum institutions, etc., and kind of class things, whatever. So I kind of, that's, yeah, Brixton Art Club's really good for that because it is like, it's just a place where anyone can go in and yeah, have a cup of coffee or a beer and just kind of hang out and see the work. And then when I did that live draw thing, that was brilliant. It was like people banging on the window and like, yeah, you know, and at the end, like a bunch of people came over and we're like you finished now oh, can we come in and they you know came in and had a beer with me and we had a chat and they were like yeah we we were gonna have a drink and then go somewhere else but they were sat in the bar opposite and they stayed they decided to stay and watch the whole thing so they sat there for like three hours wow. and then came over afterwards to come and have a chat about it and, you know say thanks and we're really excited about it i don't know so that sort of thing i think it's really nice they, It's not like they'd kind of gone But, you know, something came up on their email because they're on the mailing list for a gallery and then they went along and kind of stroked their chins and, you know, it was just real people having a drink who were like, yeah, this is cool. I don't know, and that I I like that. And it kind of fits with me. I don't like being in bands and whatever. It's just like, I like that stuff happening.
1: So do you have a kind of viewer mind for your work when you create
0: Mm. yeah not really I'm probably I'm probably making it with me in mind I'm like I'm my own ideal viewer you know um, but then I also think there's maybe a thing about now that I've got kids like sometimes I've written stuff like this I've written, I wrote a bunch of poems about kind of quite you know big things like time and hmm. uh, the nature of the universe and whatever slightly kind of so in my mind as I was writing them, their poems, I was writing them as though I was explaining them to like, uh, like a 13, 14 year old version of myself or maybe to my son who's now 14. And I thought, you know, if you can kind of, if you can put a complex idea into that kind of language and uh, without kind of killing it and making it just kind of boring, still make it kind of, yeah, if it's comprehensible for that person. So I don't know, yeah, maybe, there's another, I don't know if I do that with my paintings so much, but it's it's not something that I think about a lot, I have to say. I'm just making stuff to see what happens and responding to it myself. But yeah, I kind of like this idea of of it being, yeah, I love it. If my kids see my work and I get a good reaction off them, that's almost the best reaction, but they are almost my ideal viewer. And when I have open studios, people bring their kids in and then, you know, the ones that kind of go, oh, look, there's a willy," and start laughing or something. Then I just think, yes, like, that's that's brilliant. Like, what were the other people doing? Why didn't they? Why couldn't they have that kind of like, wondrous sort of joyful response? You know, what's that? Why? Why is that all being kind of beaten out of them? Or something? I don't know.
1: but then maybe that's what you're seeking in your own work. Then the kind of sense of wonder and the sense of kind of like, um, yeah, childlike fascination with just shapes, colours, textures.
0: Yeah, to a degree. Yeah, and I like yeah. So I'm really into this. The American animator who's now retired from animation and become a painter called Ralph Bakshi. Um, I wrote a piece for about him for like the Felix H. Wilkinson website. And actually that was a big kind of pivotal moment in my work as well, seeing um, this film Cool World that he did, which is kind of a terrible film, but uh, just kind of so raucous and ridiculous uh, that it kind of just really made me think, oh, my work's too polite, I need to kind of, I need to turn the volume up a bit, and, you know, make it more more fun and in the face. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so he did Ralph Bakshi as when he was, I think he may have been in his 80s by then, but he did a crowdfunder for a, a, like a 20 minute animation that he did uh, called The Last Days of Coney Island. And it's the most kind of grotesque, messy, like slightly badly drawn nonsensical animation about this kind of, it's like a little, like a, some kind of little thing, boy clown thing wearing a nappy and there's like gangsters and they just, yeah gangsters eating like human remains at a table and it's just like weird images the is really hard to follow but it's just so amazing so like visceral and weird and i don't know I just love it so i'm kind of yeah trying to get closer to that really something more yeah i think i described something there
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> so the question i ask a lot of the artists i interview is um what does it mean to be a successful artist? And how do you measure the success of your own work?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I'm happy with it, really, I don't know. If I'm discontented, then I don't feel like I'm successful. And if I'm kind of like, yeah, this is good, it's going somewhere. Or like, you know, the, the hard work is feels worth it or something. I don't know. Yeah it's kind of asking me some questions or it's setting me off then it's good so I don't yeah that's how I measure my own success I think
1: okay that's cool that's a very good answer that's a very interesting (laughs) answer no that's a very interesting answer because a lot of people are like you know oh how much I sell or how many followers I have or you know kind of very arbitrary measures of art of, of kind of success and uh, right. what it means success. And it's nice to that, like, you know, personal satisfaction mm. is what makes you successful because you can have all the numbers you want, but it doesn't mean you're happy with what you're doing. And I think that's yeah. really nice to hear that clearly everything you're putting out, you're satisfied with, <laughs> to, to well, a like, point. Yeah, I
0: don't know. People would probably question the authenticity of that, but I really feel that. Like, I and mean, obviously, like, George Condo is immensely successful, like, financially, yeah. but, you know, it was... So is Anthony Gornley. I think his yeah. his output is like a terrible failure <laughs> whereas Condo is a success like on that t- on both yeah. terms. Gormley is just a, like yeah talk about narcissism he's just endlessly reproducing himself and sticking. It and it's just this doesn't go anywhere I just yeah I really dislike him I think his works his attitude and his work is terrible you can cut this bit out if you want. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. But you know no, what I mean? so, That's like, not your entire like, opinion. I, whatever. There is, yeah. So if you define it, it's financially successful.
1: Whatever, but yeah. Okay. So the next question I have from you is from the last artist I interviewed. Um, oh, yeah. This is, this is completely okay. out of order from the order that I originally had because the few Don't interviews worry. got uh, scrapped. Um, rest okay. in peace for them.
0: <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> They're just going to st- stay in the archives of my hard drive forever. Um, so, a question from the last artist I interviewed, which was the really lovely lady, Diane V. Radel, um, And her question for okay. you is What did you do or learn that has helped you the most so far in your career?
0: Oh, yeah. I think it was going to, I was going to, I did, I made a note for one. I was going to hark back to, oh, well, I didn't know I was, unless there's some, unless this is another callback to the thing about determinism and quantum physics. maybe i did know that i was going to say this but anyway uh yeah it was a bit talking about the work you know where whether you're kind of making a piece of work with an intention to have an end product but yeah so my the most important thing i think i've learned is to let the work lead me rather than vice versa ah that's cool i I like that a lot yeah so i think that's i mean that's definitely what's happened like gone from being kind of very conceptual and taught and kind of end up making something which is kind of an illustration of an idea, essentially. To then getting into kind of a more, more of a kind of process, technique-driven thing, which kind of allows stuff to come out. Yeah. So follow the work, don't try and lead it.
1: Uh, Okay. So do you have a question for the next artist I
0: interview? So yeah, one of the interesting things we did at Terps was uh, Phil Allen who's a great painter and also like program leader, does an exercise with everybody in groups when you, uh, during the first term, where he, which he calls 11 questions and the whole range of questions in there from, you know, what's what's changed in your work over the years to what's stayed the same, blah, blah, blah. What's the most important, one most important image to you that you've, in your entire life, that kind of thing. And I thought I would pick what I found to be the hardest question to answer, <laughs> which was what... Give it, what is your, what's an example of bad art? So I really struggle with this because, you know, the, the immediate, the preceding question was what is good art? And so, you know, I can you pick out, I can pick anything almost. But you That's can a easily very find, good question. You can, you a can find a lot question. of good examples. But then you, what is bad art? And then you, I found myself like looking at all kinds <laughs> of stuff. And then you, it's really, I think it's much more useful to kind of find merit in stuff and, but I think as soon as you start looking at something properly, you can kind of, I was like, I worked like a kind of bad teenage drawing of a unicorn or something. Then actually, no, that's kind of somebody really meant this. And there's sort of like a real uh, authenticity thing going on. What about, I don't know, some like, yeah, I don't know, like ironic, blah, 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 I don't know, there's also, anyway, yeah, that would be my question.
1: That's what, a very good question. Like, I'm actually... Give an
0: example of bad art. <laughs> And uh, I eventually went for Anthony Gormley. I just it so, <laughs> that, that's another callback. It's all <laughs> coming together perfectly. Well it actually, ended. is
1: um, yeah. So, um, how would you like to develop your practice in 2022? And do you have any goals you'd like to achieve?
0: Um, well, yeah, I definitely want to make this show in Lower stuff like the best it can be. So that's I don't know if that's developing my the practice. There's definitely a goal. Um, yeah. And then in terms of developing, like it's, yeah, it's where I started this course. I've kind of started it, like hit the ground running. So I feel like I'm already doing a lot of stuff. And actually, most of this first term has been kind of yeah, like finishing off a, a new set of heads, working towards this last supper painting, doing a commission for Brixton Art Club, doing a portrait thing that he wants at the back, and I had uh, had a show and doing the art car boot fair, and it was like. Sort of, there hasn't been much space or time to do what you would imagine doing this kind of course would be, which is like, OK, now I'm going to take six months off and I'm going to, like, focus on thinking about and developing the work. Whereas, yeah, I've had to just kind of carry on as though I'm not really doing the course. And it's just been an extra thing on my to do list every week. So what I think I'd like to do after the show and Lower stuff is kind of yeah, take a bit of a breather and really kind of focus on yeah going maybe kind of disappearing yeah (laughs) ourselves a little bit more and trying to kind of yeah focus on um, developing the work and seeing where it goes and I don't know where that will be to us. yeah
1: but so so what would your younger self think about your work
0: that's an interesting one again like calling back to what I was talking about um I would be intrigued because I've kind of I've tried to have those conversations with other bits of, you know, I've pulled out old bits of work and made partner pieces for them and had that kind of weird conversation with myself. Um, yeah, and I've already talked about crap's last tape. I don't know. I think that I was probably yeah, going back to the what's, what was bad what is bad art question. I think my younger self would have found what is good art to be the harder question and that I would have found loads of things to be bad. And I can remember being at Chelsea and kind of wandering around just like me and a couple of mates going, yeah, that shit, that shit. And like, it just felt really good to be able to dismiss stuff, you know? Um, whereas I think as I've got older, I've been much more interested in kind of taking time and finding what could be of value in things. So I wonder if my younger self <laughs> might have been Yeah, it might be a little bit, uh, a bit more critical, perhaps, of what I'm doing. I don't know. Um, But I think that's a really good question, actually. And it's one that I would would like to sort of take away and think about some more for myself.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. I can't remember why. Why did I ever think about that? I don't know why I thought about that question popped into my head. Because the thing is, I listen to a lot of art podcasts and um, I listen to... Obviously, I talk with a lot of people, and if people have questions or if I hear something, I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." I write that down, so I have endless list, yeah, yeah. endless lists of different questions to ask people. And when it comes yeah. to me writing notes, it's a case of me just kind of putting stuff together. Um, and that just happened to be a question that I actually only asked maybe a couple of times, maybe only a handful of times at this point in time. But it's one of those questions yeah. that I really like because it, it makes you stop and really yeah. think about stuff.
0: No, it does. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know. Definitely. I like asking questions that make people think rather than just be like, "Oh." Who's your influences? And you know, because I think that's yeah, cool, yeah. but everybody asks that all the time, constantly. No,
0: and I just wanna you know, because also which younger self, like yeah, me as a as a kid, me as a like a teenager with me like when I was like twenty three or something. Uh, and i completely dismissed painting <laughs> as a yeah. as a kind of you know folly or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of interesting.
1: So the next question is quite similar. It's not quite the same. It's quite similar. And it's not by question. It's from um, the podcast Artsy CAF with uh, Andrew Norris, who is a great painter in his own right. Um, okay. And the question is, how has art changed you over time? Hmm.
0: Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, if, if I hadn't been doing it, I just think, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, if you kind of include music, if I hadn't been an artist, I probably would have been a musician. I definitely would have chosen something where it's really hard to make any kind of living from it. That's for sure. But uh, if I hadn't been doing art, then I would be a mess, I think. I don't know. It definitely is something that keeps keeps me together. So I don't know. That's not a very good answer.
1: No, no, that's bad. <laughs> hey, it's, it's an answer and I appreciate that. There's an honest answer yeah. and I appreciate that above anything else. Um, why yeah. would you I have just random curiosity? Why would you have something on the asset? Does it make you a lot of money?
0: I just, as everything that I've ever kind of been interested in is, is not particularly profitable. So even like if when I, you know, when I had to earn money, I'm very privileged now. To be in a position where i don't have to make any money because my wife is the breadwinner and yeah. i've set up a situation where i have a small income from whatever but um yeah i would you know it'd be like i did a bit of teaching which is not particularly highly paid and i'd always do it part-time uh well and then in times when i wasn't doing that i've done a little bit of woodwork and stuff people or like but i don't know it's like um i i don't really Prioritize making money. I just don't think it's, uh I don't even believe it's real. I don't think it means anything. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. If I could, you know, my dream is almost to be like a, I think, yeah, I used to, when I was a kid, I really, really wanted to be a Labrador or something where you just like, you know, you just get looked <laughs> after, you get given the meals, and then you can do your stuff and run around and. So, for me, instead of like sniffing lampposts, it's making art. But, you know, as long as I can, as long as I've got enough to eat, <laughs> and I can, like, yeah, have a m- meager social life here and there, and I can, got time to make my work, and that's all I need.
1: So, I imagine you prioritized your happiness over financial gain.
0: Okay, that's probably a better way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just it's it's an interesting outlook because i think yeah a lot of contemporary art or a lot of art in the last say 10 years has been Mm. very commercialized there's always been this push to create work that sells or there's like the the idea of commerce and art never really see eye to eye um and i think that's kind of interesting to hear your perspective where it's like yeah okay cool you know you enjoy what you do it's
0: not a value judgment on on art and i don't have a problem with People making money if they're into money. I mean, you know, my wife's an economist, and there's all kinds of models there about what motivates different people and stuff. Of course. So you know, and my political leanings are pretty kind of left, uh, probably because I'm not that into money. Whereas you know, if I was, and I kind of felt like I had a a right yeah. to, yeah, I, you know, I have no problem with other people being like, oh, I I need. I, I want a certain quality of life and whatever. I always imagine I'd be living in like a, you know, bed slash whatever, you know, live work space and just be kind of making work, sleeping, partying a bit and just, yeah, living that kind of life. And then uh, I live it up with a herd garden. <laughs> it's just weird, but I, and I, I could, I don't, I don't need it. I don't really want it. I just want to, yeah, it's not one of my priorities.
1: I like that attitude. I think that's really, that's really respectable. I think that's very respectable. Right. Yeah. right so two more questions and then we shall call it a day. Okay. So penultimate, the penultimate question, fancy word, yeah. penultimate question is,
0: I like the word penultimate.
1: In your opinion, what makes a good piece hmm. of art? What
0: makes <sighs> well, a good piece of art? Um, well, I guess the stuff that I like, generally is, I think, sincere. So I think sincerity is probably an important thing. Um, Yeah, sincerity. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I can't think, I don't know. Um, Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Probably just leave that one out. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> no no, no it was a, a dora borrowed question which i forgot to mention <laughs> okay um to so the other end of that question was um what was yeah. the last image or piece of media that you saw that captivated you and why did it leave such an impression
0: hmm. i'm trying to think of something that i yeah maybe something new because i went as i saw the um george condo's latest show at Hauser and Worthy at both galleries in london and that was kind of like I don't know yeah he's uh, he's always been a bit of a hero but I haven't seen very much hardly any of this stuff in the flesh until then only in reproduction and kind of when you see them small you know it's the same way they do uh you know newspaper cartoons are drawn like twice the size aren't they and then reduced down so they they look much more precise than they are when they're actually drawn so I was kind of amazed at how loose his work is in the flesh and how kind of yeah like sloppy really it's it's I mean you w- I've watched video you know you see the videos of interviews yeah. making those drawings and stuff they're um they're they're done quite quickly and there's an immediacy and stuff I don't know but so that really got me like the yeah it kind of made me feel like I need to loosen up a bit sometimes I'm a bit tight but I'm always like fighting that sort of graphic sensibility um yeah so that was one that definitely had a big impact recently and then I saw, I saw a really beautiful show, it's completely unrelated and not anything like I do, but um, there was an exhibition by an artist who's now dead called Noah Davis. Um, and it's just, yeah, it was just really beautiful to see some amazingly, amazingly made paintings, just really beautiful, technically brilliant paintings. And then at the top, it was at David Zwerner, and then at the top, they had kind of reproduced this It's called the Museum of Everything or something. I think we call the Museum of Everything, Um, but she set up in like a garage in like downtown New York, (laughs) Uh, and it was a sort of perfect replica of this kind of people's museum uh, itself. So he was a really interesting artist on a number of levels, but that kind of affected me, Uh, and I'm not quite sure what the ramifications of of encountering his work are yet. But it feels like this something's happened. And uh, see what ha- we'll see what that does.
1: That's really that's really interesting that you're aware that there is a a, a shift somewhere. Um, that's mm. interesting. Yeah. Right, so the very last question, which is also another do-or-brow okay. question, is okay. what are you currently working on, and where can people find more about you and your work?
0: Okay. Well, so as I've mentioned, it's this. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. working on this set of work themed around the Last Supper. Uh, yeah, a number of, of uh, studies and stuff, and that's working towards this solo show. So I'm kind of that's my main focus after the, the uh, Christmas break to get back in the studio and nail some of that stuff down, ready for the show. Um, what was the second part of the question again? Where can we oh, find, right? find out? Yeah. So I guess a number of so, so I've got yeah my Instagram page, which is at Duncan McAfee, which is my name. I'm also on facebook but that's basically just auto posting from instagram nobody uses facebook anymore <laughs> um, i don't do twitter because so i just find it unfathomable and uninteresting uh, i have a website which is my yes. name Um and then if you're if you're really kind of interested at <laughs> delving deeper uh, at the bottom of the bit with my cv on there's a link to my old website which yeah. still exists the dun- dunkerbecafee.co.uk no that's the shop sorry dunkerbecafee.org is my kind of archive website which so you can see the kind of uh, nonsense i did actually try and clean it up a bit and sort of slightly um uh categorize it so i had painting at the top and then sculpture sound uh, so it was much more just yeah, much more confusing. It was much more confusing before. You can use the Internet Archive. Have you heard of that? Yes. Yeah. Is, is it? Yeah. Kind of Brewster Kale? Is it? Yeah. Like Brewster Kale? I think so, yeah. yeah. The, the the Wayback Machine. Yes. Yeah. So you yeah. probably, if you were if you had genuine interest, you could use the Wayback Machine to go and visit my website uh, in twenty twenty, and then you'd see it in its full confusing glory. But um, yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. that, that project's great, this whole thing about, um, you said I had like a van driving around uh, like villages in depths of Africa, like printing out books. There was like a library, but which basically like a hard drive and a printer and people for a dollar could like just get a book, any book in the whole of the Library of Congress and just get it printed out for a dollar. <laughs> Amazing. That's <Yeah>. crazy. <laughs> he's oh, a really interesting guy Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that went off on a tangent, but <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. So I've got the okay. website. Yeah, and then look, yeah, Brixton Art Club. Look them up because there's a great little venue, and they've got a little yes. website with my some of my stuff and various other people's stuff on. Um, and they look up three o three projects in lower stuff as well, which is a fantastic gallery, and that's where I'm going to have my show in March through April.
1: It's absolutely perfect. Duncan, thank you so much for your time. Honestly, thank you so much. Jeez, well,
0: it's been Bye. great. Thanks for inviting me on.
1: That concludes my conversation with Duncan McAfee. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com or by social media sites such as Instagram and Twitter. The Flying Fruit Bowl podcast can now be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube or Apple Music. Please consider rating, reviewing, sharing or subscribing on any of these sites to help garner more attention for the show and to spread the word. Please check out theflyingfruitbowl.co.uk for daily inspiration and written interviews. Also, we now have a Patreon page if you'd like to support the platform further. Tears start from £1 and more information can be found over at patreon.com forward slash theflyingfruitball additionally if you'd prefer to make a one-time donation we now also have a PayPal the link to our PayPal should be included in the show notes once again thank you very much for listening to this episode today and until next time folks please stay safe